trembling or whatever's going on there, God, and just give them confidence and boldness this morning. We ask it in your name. Amen. Thanks, Rachel. So as um, Rachel said, I'm going to start off and just like to start off by saying it's good to be here, good to be with you, and it's good for you to be here this morning. It's good, as we say, to be in God's presence and as we sometimes say, in the house, good to be family together, good to um, relate to each other. And I just encourage you really to listen, to be attentive to what God might be saying, because we do feel like God's put a word on our hearts and um, they link into each other a bit. So, so listen up and just more importantly, rather than our words, listen to what God might be saying to you. Now, I'm going to start off by reading from Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 right at the beginning of the Bible. Um, and it's, um, I'm going to read from 1 to 14, but it's all about the fall of man. So if you've got a Bible, please follow along with me. If you've not, then no worries. Just I'll read, I'll read it along. But it starts off by saying, the, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its tree looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruits and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves up. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard that the Lord God was walking um, about the garden, so they hid from the Lord amongst the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman who gave me the fruit to eat, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she said. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed. And it goes on and on and on. And there's trouble. There is big trouble. Lots of trouble in the garden. It's not good. And that's where the Bible starts to turn from what God intended it to be to the fall of man, as we say. That question gets to me, and um, the question, where are you? And and we've got to know that God knew the answer to that question. It wasn't a case of he'd lost Adam, and he wanted to know where Adam's GPS coordinates were, or something had gone wrong with God. He asked that question for Adam's benefit. I think it's incredible that God can create a garden, place a man in the garden, and somehow that man can get lost in that garden. The fact is, he was in the garden, he was lost, and 
basically he'd lost the plot. Adam had lost the plot. And I say, you know, we're, we're in the house together here, together as family. But I think we can be in this house together but be lost. We can lo- sometimes lose the plot or just be lost. Or, and that question has to come, where are you? Where are we? It's possible for us to have wandered away gradually from where God wants us to be. And for us to cover up what's happened, to be part of, you know, look the part, come every Sunday morning, come to life group midweek, do the things we're meant to be doing, but somehow just have moved away from where God has placed us. I'm saying we're in the place where God's placed us, but we just might not be in that position or that standing where God really, really wants us to be. By asking that question, God was trying to get some kind of response from Adam, elicit a response. And it's really important that we we respond when we hear God talking to us, God asking the question, where are you? It's so important that without wavering and without faltering, we can just say, God, here I am. But by asking this question, um, God was trying to get Adam to respond. He was trying to get Adam to see where he was. And... um, our moods and our feelings can sometimes cheat us from some such blessings because we don't respond. And people throughout the centuries have not been responding to what God's been asking them to respond to. And that's been cheating them out of, out of God's blessing. I see that God's sometimes been engineering circumstances just so he can get a response from us. The trouble is that since Adam's transgression, we've had this incredible blame culture come into our lives, into our society and it didn't start in America and it didn't start with where there's a blame, there's a claim but it started right there in the garden right there God gave um, you know, that Adam blamed the woman and he said, actually it wasn't me, it was a woman it was the woman who told me to eat that apple and in a way he was blaming God he said, God it was that woman you put with me it would have been all right if you hadn't put that woman with me. Things would have been fine, wouldn't they? So he's blaming the woman and he's blaming God, anyone but himself. Lord, you got it wrong. But we know that God put that woman in the garden as a companion because it would be good for that woman to be a companion to Adam. But somehow Adam twisted the story and made that woman someone he could blame for his transgression. And it's a shame that, you know, this, this blame culture is somehow here to stay. It's a natural thing. And, and we see it right from the top of our society, right, from the bo- right to the bottom. And it was good to see David Cameron come into Sandwell this week. You might have seen that in the papers on Tuesday. He uh, visited West Bromwich. And, you know, when, when, when I've been looking about all this money being clawed back from schools, 138 million, but I, I read in the Express and Star the next day, David Cameron defending scrapping £138 million for rebuilding Sandwell schools, saying he's clearing up the mess from the last government. If anyone owes Sandwell an apology, he said, it's the last government who left it in the mess. But we know the last government blames the government before that, don't we? And the cycle goes on, so you get the picture, don't you? So let's go back into this garden, back into that garden where Adams stood there before God. And uh, let's get on to Eve. So questions asked of Eve. Eve, what's, what's the situation here? What's the score? Oh, 
It was the serpent. He deceived me. I didn't know. It wasn't meant to eat it. It was him, that serpent. But we know that's the oldest trick in the book, don't we? Because we know that serpent never had a leg to stand on. Drums. So anyway, so we're, we're so good at blaming other people but without realising our own sin. And, and that sin in the garden was I, what, what I give rise to is what's called some kind of do-it-yourself attitude to try and fix the problem of mankind. An attitude that's, you know, the first thing we do, we won't go to the creator, we sew up some fig leaves and we try and cover it up. We realise our, our sin, but so they get these fig leaves together and so you know, bikinis and boxer shorts and whatever they need just to cover up. And that, that, it's just a masking of the truth, a masking of, of, of sin. And it was never going to be good enough to solve the problem of, of, of mankind. It was never going to be good enough. And over the years, millions of people, including ourselves, tried to cover up because we don't like to be exposed. We don't like to be naked almost in front of God. But we know for the best results, we've got to follow the maker's responsibility, we, uh, uh, maker's instructions, and take responsibility for our sin. Sometimes we, we blame people, like Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent, and we sometimes t- um, blame our, um, our other things that aren't people. We blame our past, our parents, our upbringing, our genes, the fact we've had no opportunity. That's why I do the things I do now. Or that's why I don't do the things I shouldn't be doing. But the Bible quite clearly tells us in 1 John, if I can find it, that if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our lives. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it just says that there's no need to blame anyone else. It's okay. We can go to God and he will cleanse us from our sins. And, you know, he's faithful and just do that. So will you take responsibilities today when you hear that still small voice whispering, where are you? Where are you? Will you hear God saying and say, here I am, Lord? And if you feel yourself responding in a way that's about to transfer blame onto somebody else or something else, then stop it. Next time you're tempted, don't let it go any further. Now, although it's up to us to take personal responsibility for our sin, we've got to walk with each other in this, and it's good that we're family together in this. And we're on a journey together and we can speak truth into each other's lives. That's why I say it's good that we're here in the house together. Whether we're young or old or rich or poor, it makes no difference. When was the last time somebody spoke to you and said to you, where are you? When was the last time maybe someone in your life group whispered that to you, where are you? When was the last time you said that question to somebody else? It's a difficult question to ask sometimes, but it's an important one all the same. Now, King David was a man who had been entrusted by God with much, and he needed to take responsibility. But when he sinned, he tried to cover up his sin 
But thank God there was a man of truth who came and spoke into his life. And that man was Nathan the prophet. So I'm just going to, before I hand over to Sarah, um, watch this short clip on the DVD. David should have been at war, but instead he was on the balcony of his house watching a woman bathe. He lusted over her, called his people, said, go get her, I want her. He took her, had sex with her, and then he realizes that he's in a big mess. This girl gets pregnant. He's got to do something about this. So Uriah, the Hittite, who is the husband of Bathsheba, David brings him in wants him to lay with his wife and, you know, sort of fix things. Boy, we try to fix stuff, don't we? From the very beginning, we sow fig leaves. From the very beginning, we try to fix our sin, try to cover up our sin. You can't cover it up. you got to get it washed clean. God's got to take care of it. So Uriah the Hittite, eventually, David sends him to the front line and has the husband killed. Okay, so now David is an adulterer and a murderer. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, look at this. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, prophet. And he came to him and said to him this story. There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. Prophet of God telling a story and the sinner listening. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite. Oh, I love prophets. And I love preachers of righteousness. I love pastors who are not afraid of their people. I love pastors who are not ashamed of the whole truth. I love pastors who will call sin, sin. Even if it means losing the biggest giver in the church. 
so some of you are watching at home. The reason you're not happy is because God's not happy. The reason you're not happy, and you got all kinds of stuff, but you're not happy with yourself because you've wavered. And the truth has been set to the side. You just give enough truth to make the people happy. But you don't share the whole truth. Nathan, as he's sharing this, David could have pulled out a sword and sliced off his head. Shut up, Nathan. Get out of my life. This is David. Man of God. King. Help us. Jesus, help us to return to the God of our fathers. Good morning. As Rachel said before, when she followed the other clip, I don't quite know how to follow that. (laughs) Some strong words that we heard um, in that clip there, and I just want you to hold that in context with what Mark shared with you this morning, with what I'm going to share during the rest of the morning. Sorry, let me just get my bits together. Um, I'll start again. Good morning. As as you heard before, me and Mark are going to be like a double act this morning. I've often commented to Mark that I'd quite like to go on the couple's version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I think we'd make a great great double act on that. Mark's quite good at the really easy stuff like geography and history and science and sports. And well, me, I've obviously got my first in, in my degree and I'm really good at the really hard stuff like the latest television programs and the music and films. So we'd make a great double act there. I do wonder who we'd pick as our phone of friends, though. We'd obviously have Leon for the film buff <laughs> and um, a few other select people. But um, talking about friends, did you get my little link there? <laughs> From picking a friend to friends. Um, friends and friendship is something I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, we saw on the clip there the story of David and Bathsheba and the role that Nathan played, the real instrumental role that Nathan played in that story. And it's that that I'm going to focus on this morning. Um, the story is found in, in the Second Samuel chapter 11, and we saw there on the screen it goes into chapter 12. And although we've seen the story on the, on the clip this morning, I would just like us to turn to our Bibles and read that again. I think it's really important that we bring our Bibles to church on a Sunday morning so that we know that I'm not just sat here making up some story, <laughs> but that it's actually in the Bible. So we're going to turn to the book of Second Samuel for chapter 12 and read from verse 1. I'll just give you a few minutes to find that. <coughs> okay. It goes like this. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. 
Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had came to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. I'm just going to end the reading there with that statement. You are that man. What a challenge. What a challenge for Nathan to bring to David at that time. Um, And I think that's a really important thing is that we are challenged by people in our lives. Um, Nathan was a man. He spoke into David's life. He He spoke of blessing and challenge and instruction. And I believe that we all need somebody like Nathan in our own lives to speak of that encouragement and the blessing and the challenge. And I think there's times when we all need to be a Nathan to to somebody else, someone who's going to be prepared to speak blessing and truth and encouragement and challenge. Um, I'm going to use the term a Nathan this morning to describe a kind of relationship, a good friend, someone who you walk with in your life, someone who you do life with, someone who you open yourself up to and you hold yourself accountable to. And someone who speaks into your life. And I've said before, um, I think it's really important that we all have somebody like that in our own lives. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Simple verse, I'll read it again. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Personally, I think that this is a fundamental part of the Nathan relationship. It's about spurring each other on toward love and good deeds. It's about spending time with other Christians, friends who are going to encourage you and not drag you down, friends who are going to strengthen you when you're feeling weak and they're going to strengthen your faith, friends who care for you and want the best for you. Friends who act like a, a bit like a moral compass for you and lead you to God. They urge you on in your faith. It's like that um, picture you have when people are running a marathon and you've got all those people around them saying, come on, you can do it. This to me is, is um, vital in that Nathan relationship and we'll all benefit from that, having somebody saying, come on, you can do this, you can get closer to God and urging each other on. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 confirms this where it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. It's quite a simple instruction, but I think it's something we all need to work hard at doing in our our relationships and friendships and in life groups and those kind of environments that we have where we're spending time with other Christians. And it's what underpins the Nathan relationship that I'm talking about this morning. Another benefit from the Nathan relationship that we can have is found from Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 2 and that states brothers if someone is caught in a sin you who are spiritual should restore him gently but watch yourself or you also may be tempted carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the laws of Christ I don't suppose we actually like the concept of being caught in sin especially the being caught bit that's the thing the children often get upset about is that they're actually caught in doing something wrong not that they've done the wrong thing it's that they've been caught um 
and I, and I guess we, we're not comfortable with that concept of being caught in sin. And we probably think that that wouldn't happen to us. But look at David. Before he saw Bathsheba, he was about 50 years old. He'd been king for 20 years and was a gifted musician. He was a mighty warrior and a capable leader. He enjoyed an intimate walk with God. He had a good family life um, and a successful career as he'd just had a string of unbroken military victories. He was a man that you would look at and say he wouldn't sin. He's immune to sin. He's kind of one of the people that we would um, aspire to be. But actually, as we saw, he wasn't immune to sin. And he did do it, and so are we. And I know that's not a comfortable feeling this morning, but it's a truth that we have to be aware of, that we are not immune to sin. I think it's rare for someone to have a sudden blowout, where they would go from having a really good walk with God to being living in sin. I don't think it often happens where it's like a click of the finger and that's what happens. The reality is, it's more like a, like a slow leak that leads to disaster and takes us to a place where we never thought we would be and to a place we never imagined we, we would end up in. It's like um, you take small steps. We convince ourselves that those small steps that we take are not important. It's only a little thing that we're doing wrong and we can convince ourselves that it's not going to make any difference and it's not going to have any impact on our relationship Um, and we can rationalise it to ourselves. But actually, it's the small steps taken consistently that will lead us to places we never thought we would end up and would take us into a place we never imagined and would never hope to be if you look at when you're taking that first small step. So just be aware, really, that those small steps that we take if you take them consistently and if you continue to make small compromises that seem to have no difference and seem to make no difference you will eventually end up in a place where you thought what am I doing here and you need somebody then to say like Mark said in his earlier talk for somebody to say where are you how did you end up here and what are you doing here where are you and as Mark mentioned earlier that's not a comfortable thing to hear where are you But if you're in a place where you don't recognise, you'd need to hear that. And that's why we need to have Nathans in our life, someone who's going to come in and say, where are you? What are you doing here? Um, And then when that happens, our response should be of David's. You're right, I have sinned. That, again, is not an easy response, but that's what our response should be. I have sinned. You are right. Where am I? What am I doing here? Um... And that's good. You know, we're not expected to be perfect and sinless. We're not expected to never make mistakes. But what God does expect of us is to be honest about our failures and repent. That's, that's what he expects of us, to be honest about our failures and the mistakes that we make and to say, you're right, God, I have sinned and I'm sorry. Um, again, this is backed up from, from James um, chapter 5, verse 16 states this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other that you, that you may be healed. And that, to me, is a fundamental benefit of the Nathan relationship that I think we all should have. Is that we can confess our sins to each other in a safe environment. In a place where we know we're not going to be judged. And we're not going to be separated from God in somebody's mind. But where somebody will hold out their hand and pray for you. And help you on that journey to being healed. Gordon MacDonald. Oops. That wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> Gordon MacDonald sums it up a bit like this in his book, um, A Resilient Life. He, he 
coins the phrase, a happy few. And that's the same as, as the phrase of Nathan, having people around you who are going to speak into your life. And he describes it like this. Being part of a happy few means that each of us is held to higher standards of Christ-likeness. Of what use are relationships if they do not call us to higher standards of Christian nobility? There is a certain niceness to friendships where I can be, as they say, myself. But what I really need are relationships in which I will be encouraged to become better than myself. Myself needs to grow a little each day. I don't want to be the myself I was yesterday. I want to be the myself that is developing each day to be more of a Christ-like person. And I think that just sums it up for me, really, about why we need a Nathan, somebody who's going to help us on that journey to become the, the person that God wants us to become and to become better than the person we are today. Another aspect I mentioned before was about we all at times are going to be need to be Nathans to somebody. And I think in that and from the verses that we shared earlier, there are responsibilities. It's not just a job that you have. Um, and you can say, oh, I'm an Nathan, I can say what I want. But we have responsibilities in that, in that title and in that relationship. In the story from verse 1 from um, chapter 12 there, it says that God sent Nathan. And I think that's paramount. If you're being an Nathan to somebody, you have to know that you've been sent by God and you have to know that you're coming under God's authority and not your own. And that gives a certain responsibility to you to make sure your relationship with God is right, to make sure that what you're bringing, the the challenge or the truth to that person in is alignment with God's scripture and doesn't contradict what God would say. And that you have to know that you are coming under God's authority and and being sent by God and not just saying something because you think it needs to be said at that time and not because it's something that would be really great and really good to say but you have to know that you are being sent by God and make sure that you that you know that you are operating under God's authority really um and making sure that you're walking in step with God's spirit it was about a year after David committed that sin with Bathsheba that Nathan came and brought that challenge because he was acting under God and he waited for God's timing to be right before he brought the challenge and I think that's important that we're walking in the spirit of God and we're, we're listening to his prompts and his direction and not our own. Um, Nathan also spoke with wisdom and with courage you know he used the story to challenge David he didn't just come in and say you're a sinner but he, he had to get David's attention he had to get David to think about what he'd done and so he told this story to, Nate, um, to David that made him think And he also spoke with courage. He needed to be brave. In David's day, as we heard, it wasn't unusual for a king to chop off somebody's head if he didn't like what they were saying. We don't face those kind of risks. Your head might be bitten off, but it won't be chopped. (laughs) And I'm going to do a little bit of a Leon right now. (laughs) And I'm going to quote from a film. We recently went to see the A-Team last weekend. And there is a little bit there that goes, truth is a risk. And um, I remember thinking, sitting in the film, going, I'm going to use that in my speak next week. The truth is a risk. And I think, you know, we do face risks, not the risks of having our heads chopped off, but we face the risks where we think, actually, we might offend somebody. We might lose a friendship. We might get into an argument or a confrontation that we can't handle. But the reality is the risks are much greater if we allow people to continue to take those small steps that lead them away from God that is a much greater risk and that's the reality that we face this morning. Last page now, so you're all right. (laughs) Um, 
And the final thing I want to say about the Nathan relationship and your responsibilities as a Nathan is we look back to 1 Samuel chapter 7 and Nathan delivered a message of blessing um, to David and that was what was foundational to the relationship really and I think that's a challenge that we need. Um, When we're being a Nathan to somebody we have to make sure that we're speaking blessing and, and encouragement as much as we are speaking the challenge because I think if, if Nathan hadn't have spoken that blessing to David, David might not, have been more recept- might not have been receptive to the challenge because he might have just been thinking, well, who are you to come in here and challenge me? But because Nathan had spoke blessing over David, David was confident that Nathan came as a friend and not just somebody who was going to critic, be a critic to him. And that made him more, um, more receptive, as I said, to the, to the challenge that Nathan brought. And that's really... Um, at the end of that but I just wanted to encourage you I've had and got Nathans in my own life and I've benefited greatly from them and I've had people who are around me to speak into my life and I know without a fact that I wouldn't be the same Christian that I am today if I hadn't surrounded myself by Nathans and the the whole point of this series is is to be inspired and I hope that you have been inspired this morning to think, have I got those relationships in my life that are going to urge me on and bring me closer to God? And if you haven't, have a look around you. Who can be your Nathan? And also, who can you be a Nathan to? Who can you be instrumental in, in bringing closer to God? Because that's an amazing privilege to be a part of that. I'm going to stop there because I've gone off my notes, which means I'll waffle. So I'm just going to hand over to Mark now. He's just going to end it for us. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Sarah. Like, your name might not be Nathan, literally, but there are times in your life when your calling will be to Nathan. And I feel sometimes there's, you know, we we so easily take the route around that and bypass it because it's the easy option, because we don't want to upset that friend or we don't want to um, cause confrontation. But the truth is, um, it's more of a risk to let that person go off rather than hold them back and to pull them back to God's heart and say, where are you? And I said earlier that it's important to respond without wavering or faltering. And I, I, as um, we were preparing this, I really, really felt in my heart that there's someone here, or it could be more than one person here, who had a gift if, if you like, of, of, of being a Nathan, a gift of being a pastor who could speak to people and could um, pull people towards God. But somehow, over time, over, over the years, you've counted yourself out of that game and for no reason, but it's just, it, you just wandered off. But God's calling you back today and saying, come on, get back in on this. This is a gift I've given you. You may have counted yourself out, but... God hasn't counted you out. So if that's you, I'd just encourage you to respond, you know, without wavering. Nine o'clock Monday morning, phone up the office, whatever, speak to somebody and say, hey, that's me, what can I do? Because we want to be closer to God, don't we? And we're just going to sing this very, very simple.